Welcome to the Everything RVC podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Keeper, and I'm here with David Costello, my guest of the day. Welcome, David. Hi, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm super excited because I am the main host. Yeah. And you are at my disposal. Today. Yeah, I'm in the hot seat today. You are at, yeah, you are in the hot seat. And I am so excited about this. We talked about doing some podcasts with, with just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And I had previewed an idea in the, in the past about doing a career style interview. Um, it comes from Mark Savickas. And he is a researcher who believes that if you ask people the right questions, you can really get to what they would be most passionate about in terms of a career Hmm. and where they would be situated um, nicely to meet their personality, their preferences, and the environment that they would thrive in. So I am excited to take you through the career style interview today. How are you feeling about this? You know, our guests always say they're nervous before they come on. And I always think, you know, why? It's no big deal. Because mm-hmm. I'm usually in this chair where, like the chair you're in, interviewing. And I'm like, I don't understand why they're so nervous. This is easy. But yeah, mm-hmm. it is a little nerve wracking when you're the one with the spotlight on them. So yeah, I'm a little nervous. Plus, uh, it's not it's not a normal. It's, corner, it's sort of a uh, diversion from what we normally do. Right. So I don't know what to expect with this mm-hmm. uh, career mm-hmm. thing. But, you know. Well, I will do my best okay. to uh, make you feel as comfortable and as at ease as possible. I think that knowing you the way I do, you're really going to appreciate these questions and have some fun with them. So let's just get right to it. Okay. Um, David, tell me about who you admired when you were growing up. So whom would you like to pattern your life after? So we're going to go with three examples. Ooh. Um, three examples. Who were your heroes or role models? Growing up. Growing up. Yeah. Um, so I have, I, I mean, I have some of the obvious ones, the cliche ones or whatever that you hear. Um, my my parents. Okay. Um, even though that's something that maybe I didn't realize till later in life, mm-hmm. I still think it's a fair answer. Yes. Because I don't think you realize it when you're that age that you're trying to be or live up to your parents, Um, especially my dad, I guess, Um, you know, not not that my, well, I shouldn't even say that. Um, So my dad, from the standpoint of he showed me what um, hard work looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a machinist. Okay. Uh, He worked countless hours, uh, got up early, came home late some Saturdays, it was a source of frustration for my mom mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a, a housewife, homemaker, raising three boys. Mm-hmm. And so on the flip side of that, um, I also admire my mom, but that came later, especially after I became a parent a few years ago. Right. <laughs> then I realized how much my mom was doing mm-hmm. at that time and and doing what I'm doing times three. I'm like, I told her, I can't believe you did this with three of us. Um, but yeah, my dad really showed me what what it was to sacrifice for your family, what hard work looked like, and he never complained. Like I said, it was my mom complaining mm-hmm. about the hours he worked and things like that, but it was never my dad complaining. He was doing it for his family. And, you know, he retired 
I tell this story a lot because I was at his retirement party. And when he retired, they gave him this uh, lamp that uh, had, like, gear parts and stuff on it. Like, some mm-hmm. of the parts that he, like, worked on, uh, you know, it was kind of patterned after that. And, like, 40-plus years of what he did, and he walked away with this lamp. <laughs> but, he, you know, he didn't complain about that either. He mm-hmm. thought it was cool, mm-hmm. and he proudly displayed that in uh, in his living room. So... So definitely my parents. Uh, I know that was a long answer to just get to one of them. But then I also had the superficial, you know, heroes that I looked at, like Michael Jordan. And, and those are important. So so let's go back for just a second. How are you like your father? Oh, um, we're sim- uh, similar uh, temperaments. Like okay. we're very sort of even keeled. Mm-hmm. Um Kind, I'd like to say kind and just, just mild-mannered, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just um, I'm maybe a little bit more uh, outgoing socially than my dad, um, but we're both kind of just even-keeled guys. Like you're, you can't get a, a necessarily a good read on it. I think from a parental mm-hmm. <laughs> standpoint, I'm kind of using my dad as an example there too with my son. Like he's going to know when I'm upset with him, mm-hmm. not because I'm yelling at him or or anything but because I'm he can tell I'm upset with him I'm disappointed in him and that was that was how it was with my dad mm-hmm. you know he didn't raise his voice to me much or anything like that but I knew when I had let him down mm-hmm. and that made me feel bad and that was enough right, right. to try to rectify it for next time mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so we're very similar as dads I think okay um, and yeah just kind of, sort of similar uh, temperaments I guess okay and what about your mom how are you similar to your mom um, worry. I worry a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got definitely got that from my mom. I think I mentioned on this show once before. I think it was when we, well, you weren't here. We had, it was when we had George Hernandez on and we were talking about kids and how you let them, they used to let us just run wild in the neighborhood and they never mm-hmm. knew where we were. We'd come back hours later and I was like, I can't imagine doing that today with my kid. And I just talked about how I can't believe my mom let us do that because yeah. she was the biggest worry wart. Um, but yeah, yeah, we would disappear for hours. So yeah, I worry like my mom, she worried about everything. I'm definitely not at the level that she was, that she was, but Mm -hmm. you know, I worry about, I worry about things that maybe I shouldn't. Um, what's an example of something you worry about? Oh gosh. Um, well, again, now that I'm a parent, I worry about every little thing with Elliot, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm um, I'm a little overprotective with him like just just last night he has this toy that my mother-in-law gave him that he's into animals right now he Mm -hmm. has like a million toy animals he has this one of a bear and it has a little fish in his in the bear's mouth but it comes out and it came out last night and he walked up and handed it to my wife and I was like what is that I didn't know (laughs) why does he have this little part because I give him these Star Wars guys that I had Mm -hmm. from when I was a kid I have this box of them and I've been giving them to him but I don't give him any of the little weapons and stuff he just gets the figure because I'm paranoid about these little parts so I was just mortified that he had this little part thing that came out of it or whatever. That could end up in his mouth. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. exactly. So, yes. yeah, I just yeah. I worry about everything with mm-hmm. him. I worry about him going out into the world someday, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially the world that we're in mm-hmm. right now. I just want to lock him up in a bubble. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that that makes me unique. But, um, yeah, I just 
for again, everything sort of shifted for me when we had him. Right. So my perspective on these answers would have been totally different probably three years ago mm -hmm. than they are now. But a lot right now, everything sort of revolves around me as a dad and around Elliot. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a huge part of your identity. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so we have your parents. Yep. Let's go. You, you mentioned Michael Jordan, <laughs> who was also one of mine. He oh. would have. He would. Uh, he was in my answer when I okay. did this. Okay. Good. So, so I don't so, feel. No, not at all. So tell us, um, what was it about Michael Jordan that you wanted to pattern your life after him? Yeah, and I'm not saying he was a perfect guy. I mean, it's been sort of revealed over the years that he he wasn't a saint right. by any by any means. But so, certainly as a basketball player, mm -hmm. I was a basketball player. That was my sport. Mm -hmm. um, so I grew up playing. I started playing basketball when I was third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And uh, that coincided pretty close with his career. He came along in 84. And so I'd, I'd already been playing maybe a couple of years when he came on the scene and he was just, I don't have to explain yeah. why that he became my athletic hero, but he was also sort of this larger than life uh, personality. Um, he gave back to the community. He was kind. He was another person who you could tell his parents had a major influence on who he was. He mm -hmm. was really close with his dad. And I remember it all, it almost felt like my dad died when his dad died. Um, Cause I knew how much or, and what really kind of relationship he had with his dad. So when his dad, especially the way he died to be, to be murdered, right. um, that really hit me hard cause I knew what kind of uh, relationship they had. So yeah, he just seemed like a really good guy too, not just, uh, a great basketball player, but a role model that you could could want to you know live up to. So, sure. yeah. Sure. So I'm glad we both had him on our list. Yes, absolutely. I actually grew up in a trailer park, and when my brother left, we knocked down the wall that was between the two bedrooms, and so I actually had quite a large bedroom mm -hmm. in the trailer, and it was and, and I'm not exaggerating. It was like a Michael Jordan. Um, museum. Yeah, there were posters everywhere of <laughs> Michael Jordan, um, perfectly situated, yeah. strategically placed, and I, for many reasons, uh, loved him as well. Yep. Okay, so a third hero. That doesn't count because I did mom and dad. <laughs> no, we're going to put the parental figures into one. <laughs> oh man. And then I'm going to stretch you. Okay. To ask for another one. Um, describe child or de define childhood. So like, how? What are the? What's the age range? <laughs> That I had to be. Well, it is before 18. Before 18, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, oh gosh. Uh, a hero. See, that's so hard. Um, I mean, there's other, there's other people who I admired uh, their talents, um, like Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, that was a little bit later, like I kind of started high school. Um, I just loved him, uh, and his his comedy ended up meaning a lot to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a funny guy. I like to think I'm a funny you guy. You are a funny guy. Um, so I relate with comedians because I use humor as a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, I try to bring humor to any situation to try to lighten the mood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's rarely a situation where I won't try to inject some 
humor into it. Mm -hmm. I also feel like I matured slowly. Okay. We may dig into that a little bit later, but, um, and Jerry was definitely an overgrown child. <laughs> um, I mean, by the time he launched his show, he was already in his 40s. Mm -hmm. And the character, quote unquote, that he was playing was basically himself. Sure. I mean, he, there, wa there wasn't much of a character there. And, you know, he's, he was an immature guy, right? He didn't mm -hmm. mature much like me mm -hmm. until he got married and had kids. But he was even older than me at that, you know, when he finally started down that journey. So, you know, he's in his 60s now and his kids are still, you know, pretty young. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So anyway, the point is, I kind of related to him because we were both overgrown kids who uh, matured slowly and you know, didn't mature till later in life and used humor to, you know, get through life. So it was, you described it as a defense mechanism. Yeah. And, and so when you hear someone laugh at something you say, what do, how do you feel? Oh, it's the, be it's the best feeling. And actually, Jerry, <laughs> uh, I read an article, interview with him about how he described comedy. And he's, he basically described it in three, as three levels that you have to go through. He said the first is to be able to make your friends laugh. Mm -hmm. The second is to be able to make strangers laugh. And then the third and the most difficult to attain is to make strangers laugh for money. <laughs> oh, yes. Indeed. Because they're now paying for the sole purpose of sitting there for you to make them laugh. Yes. And have you ever <laughs> tried that? Nope. But okay. it's on my bucket list. Is it? Okay. So we talked about bucket list with uh, Christine and I was starting to think, well, what's on my bucket list? And we mm -hmm. talked about the drum thing. I always mm -hmm. want to learn an instrument. Uh and yeah, doing like just like a five minute set of original stuff that I write and then I take to an open mic night mm -hmm. is on my bucket list. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I will help you make that dream come true. Oh boy. Yes. So um, mark that. Okay. okay. So that was a fascinating list and we'll come back to those. Okay. Um, so question number two on the career style interview. Mm -hmm. And for the listeners, again, this is from Mark Sabicus. And these, these questions come from um, alfredadler.edu. So you can access these yourselves. David, growing up, uh, not growing up, but now. Mm -hmm. and, and this question is a little bit outdated, but we will modify it for today's um, reality. The question is, what magazines do you read regularly what do you like about them? And what TV shows do you really enjoy and why? <laughs> so if you don't read magazines. I do. Oh, you do. Okay, yeah, perfect. Not a lot. But um, okay. yeah, again, like online is, that's probably why you, what you meant about modifying Exactly. Um, so, you know, I, magazines, I still subscribe and have subscribed to Entertainment Weekly since basically they launched in the mid-90s. So that's, that's how long I've been a subscriber. Okay. It's everything pop culture, mm -hmm. and I love everything pop culture. Mm -hmm. So that's been sort of my uh, pop culture Bible for a couple of decades now. And I have not been able to let go, even though you can access m pretty much all of their content online now. I have stuck with the traditional subscription that shows up in my box Um they actually just recently shifted, though. Uh, they didn't change their name, but they're only monthly now. So okay. they only send one out every month, but they're still called Entertainment Weekly. But So, yeah, that one, uh, I haven't, you know, you know, back in the day at Sports Illustrated. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But now you can just absorb so much 
sports content online that I don't get any of those. As far as my news, you know, I go to like CNN, any of those typical sites, Yahoo, Twitter mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get my news. So, but as far as magazines, yeah, I still read Entertainment Weekly. Okay, awesome. Yeah. And what about TV shows? Um, I'm <clears throat> I'm into a lot of different TV. Again, and I think we talked about this maybe on our first show. Since we had Elliot, it's been harder because right. I can't sit down and dive into these shows where you got to put hours and hours into binging them. Yeah. So you're um, you're watching Thomas the Train. Yeah, and Peppa Pig. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, I've always, I, I definitely love comedies, mm-hmm, of course. That's mm-hmm. not going to surprise you. Yes, Seinfeld was one of my all-time favorites. I was a huge Cheers fan mm-hmm. back in the day. Loved Cheers and then subsequently Frasier. Uh, and then modern times, uh, very much into Big Bang, Modern Family, Parks mm-hmm. and Rec, The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that you can watch those over and over again and still laugh all the time. But I am also very much into dramas and the ones that you have to spend a lot of hours and hours we talked about lost um game of thrones mm-hmm. um i loved breaking bad uh, all those types of things but i'm not into a ton of new newer shows uh, cobra kai i did binge yes i did um, as well because i was a huge karate kid fan uh, i watched the mandalorian because i'm a huge star wars fan as we all know so so that's kind of where my TV is at these days. Yeah. So your palette is wide and far. Very much so. When it comes yeah. to. For films too. For film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we had to boil it down to you only get to watch, you know, two or three of these shows um, for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. which ones would you have to go with? Oof. Boy. You only get two or three. Yeah. Well, I, again, I would probably gravitate toward the comedies. Okay. If you're saying I can only watch those for the right. rest of my life because right. they bring humor, mm-hmm. uh, they're easy to d- digest, and mm-hmm. and they 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 bring calm. Sure. You know. Sure. Peace. So um, when you're when you're having those moments of worry, going back to your mom, uh, mm-hmm. and you're having those moments of worry and maybe anxiety. It's those outlets that really bring you peace. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. if I'm stressed out or whatever, throw on throw on some The Office sure. or Parks and Rec and just mm-hmm. get lost in that for a few minutes and laugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. All right, question number three, and you already touched on this a little bit, but you only get one book and one movie for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. What book? People are going to think I'm crazy, but um, Infinite Jest would be the book. Um, This is going to sidetrack us for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, David Foster Wallace was my professor at Illinois State for creative, creative, no, for fiction. Okay. uh, For my fiction class. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, I walked in, this was 94. I walked into class the first day, and somebody was sitting on the desk in a Batman t-shirt <laughs> with a bandana on. Okay. And I thought, boy, that's kind of, and I'm kind of a young guy, mm-hmm. too. I'm like, kind of rude for a student to do that on the first day of class. He was the professor. <laughs> I and it saw was that David, coming. It was David Foster Wallace. Okay. And you would come to... 
if you come to know him, that was his signature, the bandana, um, you know, very much into the sort of pop culture things I'm into, you mm -hmm. know, with the Batman and all the Star Wars and stuff like that. But also one of the most brilliant, which I didn't realize at the time, uh, writers, you talk to anybody in the last like 30 years, they would, many would have him on his, their, their list of the most brilliant, like genius writers of our time. So describe um, the style of his writing. Maddening, confusing. Okay. Um, so at the time I had him in class or I was in his class, he had already been published. Um, he had already had some short stories and even a novel published. What I didn't, I, what I didn't know was he was working on Infinite Jest at that time. He was finishing it. It would get published, you know, maybe a year or so after I, or two year, two years, I guess, maybe, or a year, year or two after I had his class. And I think back on that now, I'm like, oh my God, I was in his office, you know, going over one of my papers mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. having a little back and forth like you do with your students. Right. There might have been pages of the Infinite Jest <laughs> manuscript sitting there. <laughs> And it just blows mm -hmm. my mind. Mm -hmm. And boy, if I could go back in time, I would, I would uh, approach that class a little differently. But um, can you give us a little bit? I, I'd like to know a little bit about what that book is about. Oh my God! <laughs> um, <laughs> here's the thing about him. He can't. He can't necessarily be described. His plots are not your normal. Plots. Not In a fact, linear plot? Yeah, you don't read his books for the plot or to get to the point of okay. the, you know, to get some resolution in the, like, the three-act structure of a, of a story. Um, but just to give you just sort of the, the Cliff's Notes version, it's about, um, there's sort of three stories that sort of converge. There's one that takes place at a, at a posh uh, tennis academy. Um, with these young kids, and he was a tennis player. Okay. He was, he was actually a pretty good tennis player, so he wrote, you know, write what you know. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. He wrote about tennis a lot. Um, um, and at the beginning, the, one, of the main, you know, the, one of the main characters we're going to follow is, is having a bit of a breakdown. And you, you come to find there's drugs involved and there's, you know, all this other stuff at the tennis academy. His dad killed himself. His dad was a filmmaker who made this this movie called Infinite Jest. That if you watched it, you sort of went a little bonkers. Interesting. Um, okay. There's also a, a subplot of people trying to hunt down the Infinite Jest tape because they want to use it for, you know, for bad, for okay. evil. Um, and then there's a third subplot about uh, addiction uh, and uh, addiction and recovery and like an Alcoholics Anonymous kind of uh, group. And they all sort of converge. But again, do not read it. I tell people, do not read it to try to expect some resolution in the plot. Mm -hmm. Read it because his writing is just so brilliant. Mm -hmm. I found myself just going back and rereading a paragraph, you know, because it was just so beautifully written. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I say to people, the first time, don't try to figure out what's happening or how everything connects. Just appreciate his writing okay. because his writing is so good, okay. so rich. 
Um, then maybe go back and read it again, and then you'll have a little bit of a better understanding of the stories and how they connect, and then maybe you can start to try to fig, you know, figure out how that gets pieced together. So what I'm trying to say is you're rewarded each time you read it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is why I selected it. Um, it's an absolute beast to read, though. Most people try it. In fact, I tried twice before it finally stuck the third time. I started trying to read it, and I just threw it down and tossed, threw in the towel. Okay. Uh, it finally stuck the third time when a friend and I decided to read it together, and we had pages we had to finish by a certain time, and we were going to talk mm-hmm. about it and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So we kept each other on track, and then I finally got through it. But it's over a 1,000 pages, oh, gosh. Okay. small type, and he uses the one thing he used um, in all of his writing was footnotes. You see it a lot now, even mm-hmm. with bloggers mm-hmm. and stuff. They use a lot of footnotes. I think it started with him. And there's there are pages and pages and pages of footnotes. So you'll be reading the regular story. There will be a footnote. you got to flip to the back. And sometimes the footnotes are several pages. They're not just like a paragraph. So you'll be diverted into this 20-page footnote. Wow. And then, oh, back to the story now. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. is quite a beast to get through. But I chose it because if that's my only book for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. I can reread it over and over and over again and get more out of it each time. I know that was a very long uh, answer to that, but he had an impact on me. Um, the thing is, his class was my favorite class I had uh, in college, and that was before I knew who he really was. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I didn't find out till after I'd had his class that he was this brilliant writer and I didn't read any of his stuff until after I'd had his class but and you said um, it was a creative writing class no uh it was actually fiction oh a fiction Um, class okay and you had told me on a previous podcast that if you had to start over and do a different career mm -hmm. you could see yourself on an island doing some creative writing yeah I was always into that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know I never did anything that um that I tried to get published or anything like that but yeah Mm -hmm. I always try I always liked to try to come up with unique stories mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. I guess that would be on my bucket list too maybe to write a short story or something like that yeah awesome all right um David question number four what do you like to do with your free time what are your hobbies and what do you enjoy about these hobbies um I have a couple in my my old age here that I like I like to run um my wife got me into running um, I used to think, why does anybody run for fun? You know, because <laughs> you and I, an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, you and I yeah, played yeah. basketball, so you know, like running was like the worst part of practice, yeah, right? Like yeah. running is what you did when you got in trouble. Yeah, I always um, tell people I will not run unless I have a basketball in my hand. Yeah, or somebody's so. chasing me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is fun. It's a it's a nice social outlet. It's a good release. It's healthy. It's we it's fun. We like to go mm-hmm. to these runs and mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I have a closet full of shirts from the runs I've done in the last five, six years. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I brew my own beer. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I are both into craft beers. Um, her dad got into brewing and kind of spun off from that. I got into it, and he taught me a lot of stuff. And I actually did one on Friday. Mm-hmm. Did a new one on Friday. So um, I like to do that. And, you know, again, since Elliot, there isn't a lot of time for hobbies and I'm okay with that right. because I waited a long time to be a dad and I'm I'm enjoying every second of it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. awesome all right number five do you have a favorite saying or motto again I always take you're gonna find that I 
I take a lot of my life lessons from pop culture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I have two posters hanging in my office. And uh, a friend of mine who's an artist did them. She does these minim minimalist kind of posters that are spun off from pop culture. And it basically takes like a favorite quote of yours or something from a movie. And then she takes an image mm -hmm. that sort of represents the movie and puts it on a poster. So I have two that I had her do for me. Uh, one was from Ferris Bueller, mm -hmm. and it was the uh, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Um, I think that's, uh, I think those are good words to live by. Uh, enjoy every moment. Um, you hear that cliche a lot, especially when people die and things like mm -hmm. that, but it's so true. Um, just enjoy the moment, live in the present. Mm -hmm. um, so that one reminds me to live in the present. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is from Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And it's what if there was no, or what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't today. <laughs> I just love that line. And, but the, the reminder is what if there's no tomorrow? So mm -hmm. again, they're very related, yes. right? Those two quotes yes. are very related and they tell you to just live, you know, live day by day and enjoy every moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I love it. All right. You covered this a little bit, but let's go more in depth in junior high and high school. What were your favorite classes and why? And what were your least favorite classes and why? Uh, junior high and high school, English, you know, any, anything English related again, because I liked to write, mm -hmm. I love, you know, grammar. I just get that stuff. That sure. stuff just, you know, I had the abilities for that. I didn't, I was not a math and science guy. Mm -hmm. I think you're one or the other, mm -hmm. um, usually. Uh, so yeah, definitely any of the English. Um, I enjoyed history, learning about history. And um, so I guess those are my favorites. And then yeah, I didn't love math. I wasn't great at math or science. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I was the guy in high school in the uh, chemistry classes and the physics classes that you had to worry about was going to blow <laughs> something up or shock themselves. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was what I expected. Yep. Okay. So let's move on. And we're getting toward the, the end of the interview. Um, so this is the last question, question number seven. Mm -hmm. um, what are your three earliest memories? So what are stories about things that you recall happening to you when you were between the ages of three and six years old? Man. So we are going to really try to test you and test your recall. Mm -hmm. And I'm going for three of your earliest recollections. From ages three to six. Yes, if possible. Some people, I've done this interview a lot with students at Rock Valley um, with our Right Place to Start program mm -hmm. grant that we had before. And sometimes you can't think back to three or six. So do your best. Yeah. And it's just three of your earliest recollections. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I'm pretty sure it was in that range and I had a, I had to have a surgery. Okay. Um, you know, I won't get into all the what it was or anything like that, but um, I do remember being in the hospital and I didn't really know what was going on and um, and it always, doesn't it always come back to Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> For being in the hospital, my parents got me the huge, like, Millennium Falcon. Okay. Um, and that was a cherished uh, toy of mine okay. growing up. And I got it because I was in the hospital. But okay. I definitely remember, like, I can still picture 
um, being in the hospital bed and and uh, that whole experience. So. And, and and go a little deeper. What were you feeling mm-hmm. in that moment? Um, I mean, I was confused. When you're that young, you don't know what's going on. And that's the good thing about it, though, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, my son had to have a surgery as well about mm-hmm. a year ago, uh, you know, when he was... Uh, had just turned two. Okay. We were waiting for him to get a little older. It's something we knew we had to have done, mm-hmm. um, but he needed to be a little older to do it. And we had to take him to the doctor recently, and they he would barely let them uh, do the whole, like, take his temp, measure your head kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. freaks out now, and I'm like, God, thank God we did that surgery a year yes, ago. Yes, yes. Because he was kind of a trooper about mm-hmm. it. But, yeah, you, but he's never going to remember a lot about that. Yeah. So that's the same thing. I just kind of remember still being in the bed, uh, wake, kind of waking up from it and my parents being there. And I remember them giving me that gift. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much the extent of what I remember. But and when they gave you that gift, what was the feeling? Oh, surgery's not so bad. <laughs> what else do you guys want to do? <laughs> I can get an X-wing and a TIE fighter, too. That'd be great. What else do you want to do? Right, right. Yeah. All right. Another early... Oh, in in one second, I have to go back. Um, So if you had to give that story a headline, you're the creative writer. (laughs) What would the headline be? For that story? Yes. Uh, Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) I don't know. That's really tough on the spot to come Mm -hmm. up with that. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, You might have just said it. I did? How can I get a, <laughs> what'd you say? Yeah. How can I get an X-Wing? How can I get an X-Wing? Yeah. What else you want to do to me? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to another early memory. Um, okay. Yeah, this would have been in that range too. This is kind of embarrassing. But, um, okay, so I mentioned that my, my mom was a homemaker. Mm-hmm. She raised us. I didn't go to kindergarten. Okay. Because she was really good at, and this might happen with my kid too, I don't know, because he's already like crazy smart for mm-hmm. three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she read to me all the time. I was already doing fine, mm-hmm. like, till they didn't send me to kindergarten. So I had no, and because I stayed home with my mom, I didn't obviously go to daycare or anything like that either. So what I'm getting to is I wasn't socialized as much as some of the other kids, right? So mm-hmm. when it did come time for me to go to first grade, that was really hard mm-hmm. for me because mm-hmm. it was the first time I was breaking away from my mom right. and my brothers and right. not being home with them. And all of a sudden I'm thrown into this Lord of the Flies <laughs> with all these other kids <laughs> and you're going to gym <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was kind of a mess that first, like, we, I don't know, my m- mom would remember more about how long it was, but um at least the first week or so, I cried. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. every day I would sit there in class and just cry. They would have to call my mom and, you know. Uh, so, yeah, kind of embarrassing to look back on that. That's how my school life started. But it was just, that's that's what it was for me. It was traumatizing to have mm-hmm. to break away from my, my mom and what I knew mm-hmm. and sit with all these strange kids. And wh- what is this? Right. Um, right. So it was hard. So, yeah, I cried. Yeah. Yeah. So the feeling was... I guess I was scared. Scared. Yeah, like there was the unknown. Like yeah. I didn't know what to expect. And I'll fast forward. Um, I had a very difficult time transitioning to high school. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was I went to a Catholic school first through eight. Um, St. Edwards, which um, I don't think uh, 
don't exist anymore because they've combined some of the Catholic schools in Rockford now. But anyway, uh, and then I went to public high school. Mm-hmm. My parents couldn't afford to send all of us to Boylan. I had a, a older brother. He had already gone to Jefferson because they kind of made that decision. They had to make that decision with him, right? Right. Are we going to send all three of them to Boylan or are we going to send all three of them to public? And we lived very close to Jefferson. Mm-hmm. just a couple miles from there so they chose to send him to Jefferson so guess what I'm going to Jefferson <laughs> and I was a good basketball player and I really wanted to go to Boylan um, they're the basketball powerhouse right and I remember Gores Steve Gores coming to some of our games and he he was interested in what I was going to do and I was like oh, can I go to Boylan mm-hmm. but no I got to I had to go to Jefferson so uh, long story short right Mo, you know most of the kids I went to grade school with went to Boylan so now I'm thrown into, again, just like first grade, I'm mm-hmm. thrown into this whole other world of public, what is this, public school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. all these people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me. And I had a very rough um, beginning to my freshman year as well. Probably cried then too, to mm-hmm. be honest. Not at school. Sure. So there's the difference. Of course not. Yeah, I right. cried in first grade right there in front of everybody. And I probably went home and cried um, my freshman year because it just was very very hard to adjust and again basketball to the rescue though mm-hmm. um, by the t- time I was a few months in and basketball season was ready to start and I tried out for the team and made it that's where all my I started making all my friends mm-hmm. now I had friends on the basketball team and guess what a lot of the basketball players are the are the popular kids cool right. kids so now all of a sudden I was meeting people and mm-hmm. I was like oh well maybe this Maybe this guy is okay. Mm-hmm. And that changed the whole trajectory for me because I played sports. So sports are can really open a lot of doors. Yeah, I have a similar story, but this isn't about me. Those three early recollections, what do all three of them have in common in terms of feelings and what you were preoccupied with? Uh, again, you know, just the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um disrupting what I was used to, right. my normal schedule, mm-hmm. what I thought the world was. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it was it was opening up a, what I was starting to realize the world was bigger mm-hmm. than what I had been living in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a scary proposition at first. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Yes. This has been fascinating. Has it? Yes, it I has been okay. fascinating. Um, because to me, it's so clear. But I, I'd like to see... I'd like to hear from you what, as you process what we have talked about today, and as you think back on your childhood and think back on the things that you're consumed with in terms of hobbies and leisure and books and magazines Mm -hmm. and role models, can you imagine how what you're doing now was informed by those experiences? Oh yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, what I do is, is a creative field, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, the all that stuff I was into, pop culture-wise and whatnot, that's all art. That's creative. Those are creative fields. Right. And so yeah, I, that's that definitely inspired and probably led me down my path to want to... That's what gets me excited is when I have an idea... Mm-hmm you will see a shift in my entire uh, aura personality. Yes, I've like, seen it. Yeah, I'll yeah. come into the office and, you know, I, I, I joke that sometimes when I walk in and tell my team, I've, 
I'm all, you know, I'm all excited. I've, I've got an idea. Mm-hmm. Sometimes their energy comes right back at me and they feel the same. They're mm-hmm. excited to hear it. And mm-hmm. sometimes they just roll their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like, here we go again. Oh, crap. It means more work for me, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's nothing that excites me more than when I have like a creative idea that I can start to explore. All right. So um, as in your role as the executive director of communication and marketing, how do you think that your earliest memories inform that choice of a career? In other words, according to Mark Savickas, our earliest recollections will reveal preoccupations that guide our personal strivings. Hmm. So um. as a child, and you were preoccupied in those memories... Yeah. You were preoccupied with change and uncertainty mm-hmm. and being um, in a new place. Yep. And not knowing if you're going to fit in. How does that relate to what you do here at Rock Valley College? Well, I guess there's a couple ways I could look at it. Um, all that stuff that I was into is an escape, mm-hmm. right? You look when you want to watch. When you want to get lost in the world of Star Wars or mm-hmm. any any of that stuff, Entertainment Week, yeah, Entertainment, yeah, mm-hmm. it's an escape from reality mm-hmm. or the real world you're, you're, that you're living in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's nice having a career where I can have that escape as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when I can get fired up about an idea or something creative and that I can shift my focus to that and not worry about some of the things that are going on in life Mm -hmm. or in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does your marketing and your public relations do for students? um, Well, hopefully it changes their course, right? Um, Hopefully it has some influence over their decision. That's always an interesting thing as a marketer to think about, to look at, does it really influence a choice? And I bet if you ask the student, and we have asked the students, and sometimes, you know, when I first see the answer, like, well, marketing didn't really affect my decision. Well, that's what you think. Mm -hmm. But how many of us would admit that marketing has affected some of the things that we do or some of the things that we buy? There's a subtle thing happening there sometimes that you don't realize. So you know, with our marketing, we try to keep, it's it's about branding. Mm-hmm. It's about keeping our name out there mm-hmm. so you see it and hear it a lot mm-hmm. so that when you think about higher ed, you think Rock Valley and you associate us with quality. Mm-hmm. It's not that I expect you to jump right off your couch when you see one of our ads and go register for classes, right? Because right. that's a big decision. You don't just impulse buy higher education. Right. Um, that's something you research, you think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, but I would like to think that you know, some of what we do has an influence on uh, changing the course for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they're here, I'll take it to the next step. I, a lot of what we do is trying to make sure that the experience that they have here is enriching. Um, and how do people feel when they first get here? Scared. Probably just like me in first grade and freshman year, right? So yeah, hopefully some of the things that we do um, make that experience um, easier and better for them. You know, seeing 
some of the things we do on social media that shows you what what it's really like to be a student here or um, the fun that you can have here or I didn't know they did all these events or I didn't know they had all these clubs and yeah so hopefully yeah some of what we do that shows life at Rock Valley makes it an easier transition for them and not so scary. Mm -hmm. Tell me about one of your marketing platforms, um, your creative projects that you feel most proud of in your time here at Rock Valley. Oh. You know, it wasn't, I'll start with one that, it wasn't marketing, it was more uh, PR. Sure. And that was the 50th anniversary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really proud of what we did with that that year. Um, I came up with that idea to do the 50th Fridays, I call them. And so every Friday, we would highlight a different year in our history. And we started at the first year, and then each week we did another year, and we worked our way up. So we kept it top of mind mm-hmm. all year long. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like we had a celebration that year to honor our 50th we honored it all year mm-hmm. and we reminded you every week of stuff that happened so from 65 all the way on up to at the time 2015 and i dug through you know it was a passion project mm-hmm. um steve thompson introduced me to the archives and where to access everything and i literally sat down there and every monday i started right here where we are in the library over in the archive digging out these huge books of news clippings and uh, press releases and I would plop down at a table in the library and I would flip through them mm-hmm. and I would find the things that jumped out at me mm-hmm. and I would I would have to take to get photos to go with it I would have to literally take a picture of the picture mm-hmm. <laughs> so if it had a picture that went with the story and then I would have to go back and edit the photos and c- try to clean them up a little and I would have to write a little narrative mm-hmm. of each thing and then it was it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of work. I hope people appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was definitely proud of that because I think our history is important. So would you say, David, that taking photos, writing down historical moments, and documenting a 50-year history provides some stability? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And when you're scared and when you're uncertain, when you know that there are some things that will always be stable and some things that you can always count on, that feels very comforting. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that year was a really stressful year for me, probably the most stressful I've had here. Um, We had a lot going on. We were also in the middle. I was leading our... um, web redesign project that year, which was a massive uh, undertaking. And then we had the 50th on top of it and just, and then our normal, right? Our normal everyday Mm -hmm. things that we had to do. And it was just a lot to take on in a year. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I could look forward to starting my week every Monday. Mm -hmm. I was excited to be able to go to the archives and find out what happened this year and put that together. And all the while thinking, um, hopefully people are appreciating this. Mm-hmm. I was doing it not as much, not totally just for me, but for everybody at the college to be mm-hmm. able to learn about and embrace our history. So, mm-hmm. And when you preserve history, it's your way of staying connected with your past, even though things rapidly change. Yeah, yeah. 
And then just real quick, the marketing standpoint, I'm, I'm happy with just overall our journey campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've done a good job tying it all together into a lot of the things that we do. And what really, what really made it for me was for one, when our president at the time, I would hear him use the word journey a lot in his speeches, mm-hmm. and they weren't things I wrote for him. They were things that he just said. Mm-hmm. So it had it rubbed off on him. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the real topper was I sat on the um, student speaker um, panel to select the student speaker one year, and and one of the students brought the journey thing into their mm. speech, mm-hmm. and I'm like, hey, it resonated mm-hmm. with a student too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I I'm I'm proud of that campaign as well, and how we tied it to alumni and and the great things that they're doing, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, let's reflect now. Let's process the process. Okay. What kind of insights have you had? during this hour of the career style interview? Uh, yeah, it's been a little eye-opening to think that um, it was those moments of me being like really uncertain and scared in my life that, um, that sort of led me down this path because I think it did it is probably what drove me to maybe absorb more of that pop culture and those escape things that I talked about, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I was, because my my real world was scary. Mm-hmm. So my escape was to go watch Star Wars or, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Um, or whatever it might be to get that escape. Um, and then immersing myself in all of that creativity I'm sure led me down the road to wanting to do something creative with my life. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think it all. I'm surprised. I definitely didn't know what to expect when we started down this road, but yeah, I'm surprised to see how it kind of ties together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you had to give your career a title, what would your title be of your career? If I had to title my career? If you had to write a book uh-huh. about your career to this point, what would the title of your book be? Hmm. Um, boy, you've always put me on the spot with these titles. <laughs> <laughs> Let me walk you through my marketing process. I don't just come up with these things on the spot. So I want you to go back to your favorite sayings. Yeah, life moves pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Life moves pretty fast. And you have a job that captures people's history and writing and photos and public relations marketing. You have a job that helps make people who feel really uncertain about what they should do feel more comfortable when they walk on campus. And, yeah. you know, your your good day is when you can express yourself creatively and provide fun and kindness to someone around you and those role models that you looked up to mm-hmm. who served others and who looked around them and they didn't complain but they said how can i help you know how you know are you are you self actualizing are you happy with where you are and 
and maybe those those favorite quotes that you have can yeah. be reflective of the title of your career journal journey mm -hmm. so life moves pretty fast life moves pretty fast yeah. life moves pretty fast yeah what if there is no tomorrow maybe. there wasn't today so, so so you take the two mm -hmm. and you put them together what if life moves pretty fast what if there was no tomorrow <laughs> I like it. I'll start working on the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you that are listening, again, I can't say enough about this career style interview by Dr. Mark Savickas, S-A-V-I-C-K-A-S. You can find this entire questionnaire on alfredadler.edu. That's A-L-F-R-E-D-A-D-L-E-R.edu under the career style interview questionnaire. David, I hope this was a meaningful and memorable um, hour. Yeah. I know it was for me. Yeah, it was, I did not know what to expect when you sprung that on me, mm -hmm. so. Um, and by the way, listeners, I sprung it on him five minutes before we started <laughs> talking today. I said, yeah. do you want to have some fun? So just so you know, this is my idea of fun. Yeah, that was a trap because of <laughs> course I like to have fun. Uh, so I said, yes. Little did I know mm -hmm. what we were getting into. But no, it was a blast. I appreciate yeah. it. And I think that would be fun to do. Um, maybe I'll flip the script and do it, mm -hmm. give you that interview as well. Sure, so. sure. Of course, you know it kind of inside out. So you've probably thought about it. You know some what, though? Nobody has ever interviewed me with this. Yeah. Maybe I've thought about a couple of the questions, but no, I've never. It would all be original thought. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was a blast. Yeah. Good times. So... Yeah, so I guess that was our show. That was our show today, folks. Uh, coming up uh, later in the week, we've got, uh, oh, I believe it's uh, Michelle Rodert, right? <gasps> Dr. Rodert. Is it really? On. Yeah. Oh, my so. gosh. So. Bucket list. Bucket, yeah. My bucket list <laughs> is to have Michelle Rodert on the show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I'm also extremely excited about some of the people that are coming on. Um, just this week, we have secured interviews with Beth Engel. Mm -hmm. from the history department our mayor nice okay um you got a couple yeah jenna goldsmith mm -hmm. um i didn't know who she was until i don't know maybe a month ago when we posted something about her poetry book that mm -hmm. was being published and mm -hmm. um she reached out she actually reached out about the time capsule and asked if she could write a poem uh, to go in the time capsule, mm -hmm, a, mm -hmm. an RVC geared poem. And I said, absolutely. Yes. So I think she's going to write that and also maybe record a video of her reciting it that we'll be able to show and also put in the capsule. So, and I said, by the way, how would you also like to come on the show? She said she listens, she likes it, and she would love to do it. She's out in Oregon, but um, mm -hmm. she'll be calling in. Calling in, um, I love it. We also have Joe Haverly coming on from the sciences department. You know, it's just... I couldn't be more proud of the direction of this podcast. And thank you all for listening. Please share. Please give us comments. Provide feedback. Um, we'd like to hear from you. And we hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we are. Yeah, we're working on a couple other surprises, too. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mm -hmm. want to reveal who a couple of them are. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's going to be a good 20. All of those you mentioned, I think, for the most part, are next year, 2021 already. That we're, mm -hmm. we're booking solid into March already. So that's great. I'm um, pretty excited about that. Um, I was also going to say, just for uh, logistical purposes, because um, it always makes me p 
pick what season each episode is. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming we should just do that by year. So this sure. is season one we're in right now. Yes. And when we go into 2021, that'll be considered season, season two. two. Sound good? Awesome. All right. This has been Everything RVC with me, David um, Costello. And Amanda Keeper.